Well, for those of you that uh, may be new, bienvenidos. I want to say welcome. I'm glad that you guys are here with us today. Uh, for those of you that maybe uh, you are getting back in, and, and maybe it's been a little while and you're returning back, I'm glad that you're here. We're good to see you again. And for those of you that call this place your church and your home, I count it a privilege uh, to be able to teach and to share with you today. Uh, my name is Josh Rodriguez, and I'm one of the members of the teaching team, as well as a part of the staff here at Life Community Church, and I'm just excited to share uh, with you today. And actually today, what we're doing is we are in, I think it's the fourth or maybe the fifth week in the series, in the series that we started here in the fall, and it's the questions, or when Jesus asks. And I imagine in a room like this that if there was a question that you could ask Jesus, whether it be big, whether it be small, I would imagine with this many people that there would be a wide variety of things that we have on our minds, the questions that we would like to ask of him. But what we've been doing is look at the questions that Jesus had asked, and in particular, the questions that he asked in the book of Matthew. And so we're going to look at one of the questions, and it's going to be this particular question. Maybe you didn't expect to see this one coming, but it's this question. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Okay? Maybe that's not the question you thought you were coming to hear today. So it might start a little heavy, but we need to go there because there's still good news. But we, we got to face and address the bad news before we get to the good news. So maybe when you see that question, maybe you hear a particular voice. It's got to be a little dramatic. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Okay, maybe something like that. I don't know. But we got a particular question. As we talk about that question, there's something else that we need to talk about is expectations. Because when we have particular expectations, I would say it's a good thing when you have expectations and the reality meets that expectation. That's pretty good. Now, in those moments when you have things that you hope for or that you want and that your expectations are exceeded, then that's really good news. That, that is great. But what happens when the things that you want, the things that you hope for, here is what you expect, and far over here is the reality of what you experience. What do we do in those moments? Because when there's a little separation between what you hope and what really happens, or when there's a great separation between the two, I would imagine in that gap there might be a little bit of disappointment. There may be even a little bit of frustration maybe even anger. And so we need to unpack that. We need to unpack that because sometimes it's not that big a deal. It's a small thing. Everybody's going to grab something to eat after church today, I imagine, right? And maybe your expectations is, oh, let's go out and grab something to eat, and you find out that you're going to get outvoted and you're going to be eating at home. And maybe that meal at home is great, so no problem, not a big deal. Or somebody told you about a show or a movie, and they hyped it up, they told you it was great, and you actually spent the time to watch that show, watch that movie, and you are disappointed. It was two hours of your time that you couldn't take back. And if you watch the movie Titanic, now you're talking, what, three or four? That might be a disappointment. 
spoiler, the ship sinks, okay, if you haven't seen that, but yeah. But when it's the smaller things, it's not that big a deal, but when it's those serious things, your expectations of the way you thought your life would go, your job, you started this job or you began a new job and now it's not, it's, it's not all that you hoped it would be. And maybe your employer might have thought something similar. You weren't all they hoped you would be. And then we talk about some of the more serious things, right? That you find that the doctor speaks to you and says, I have news for you. And it's not good. And we need to run more tests. The life you hoped and the life you expected not what you hoped it would be. Or the loss of a loved one. You imagined life and years with this person, a friend, a loved one, a relative, and yet that is not the reality. So what do we do? We need to talk about those things. Because if you've not already faced them yet, you will face them. And what do we do in that gap and in the middle? Okay. And we're going to look at Scripture, and specifically, we're going to look at, look at Matthew chapter 9. So we're going to have the words on the screen here as well. But in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to unpack this a little bit. And what I want us to see is that I don't want us to miss a few things. Because in that gap, what we could miss is perhaps there is something that Jesus really wants us to see. And our eyes and focus is on just what we can see. What do you see? Well, maybe there's something else that Jesus wants you to see beyond this. And perhaps there's something that Jesus wants you to know. Because there are things we come into that situation that we already know, but he desires for us to know even more. And in response to what we see and what we know, what is it that he calls us to do? And so we're going to just kind of frame it through kind of that lens as we go through this text, Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. The words are going to be there for you as well. It says that Jesus stepped into the boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming, knowing their thoughts. Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? This is that question that we're going to look at. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and the crowd saw this. They were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. So we see at the beginning of this passage that Jesus is returning to this particular town of Capernaum. And when Jesus comes, we're told that there are four men, four men who are bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus. Now, if you would look at some of the other Gospels, outside of Matthew, if we would look at Mark, if we would look at Luke, we would find some additional details. And they would say this, that as those men brought their friend to Jesus, 
that they would find that this house where Jesus was teaching would be filled. And Mark would say it this way, that they gathered in such large numbers that there's no room left, not even outside the door, and they preached, and he preached the word to them. So why the great numbers? Why the big crowds? Well, the chapters preceding that would tell us that Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching about the good news of God's kingdom. We have the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus would say things, blessed are those, uh, blessed are those who have mourned, blessed are the peacemakers. He would continue on. He would talk about salt and light. He would talk about putting first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that fall into their place and even loving our enemies. And at the end of this teaching, they said that the people were amazed because he spoke with authority and not as the teachers of the law. And it wasn't just Jesus teaching. He had authority, not just in his words, but on what he did. And so people would gather and they would be healed. With a word, some would be healed. With a touch, lepers would be healed. And for some, they would just come up to Jesus and touch the edge of his clothes and he would be healed. He would cast out demons and he, he would even raise the dead. So Jesus would be showing this authority and this teaching and so the crowds would come so much that there was not room in this place where he was teaching on that day. And we're told that these men come around and they realize they are not the only ones who are looking for Jesus and that there are others. And the place was so crowded that there was no room left. How many of you get a little uh, frustrated when we're talking about expectations? That you come somewhere and there's a big crowd. You feel a little let down when you see a big line. Okay, I've gone to some stores and I've really needed something. And I see all they have is the self-checkout line. And that self-checkout line is about 20 deep. And I'll walk in and I'll think, I know I really needed that, but that's going to have to wait till tomorrow. Anybody do that or is that just me? Okay, maybe it's just me. One person, two. Okay, that's okay. But there are other times we get a little frustrated when there's too many, there's a crowd, and it doesn't go our way. But these men saw a crowd and it didn't stop them. And it says this later, that they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Now, I'll confess this to you. When I get a chance here to speak and I look around, it's encouraging to see some friendly faces and some smiles. And, but there are moments when I get a little distracted by what you're doing. Okay? I'll admit that. So I try to kind of keep my focus if you pick up your phone and you start looking at things, I'm wondering if you're looking at the next scripture or you're looking at the menu for where you're going to eat later. <laughs> or if you talk to the person beside you and you start giggling and laughing, I'm wondering, what did I do? Is my zipper down? What's going on? I get a little distracted. So I want you to imagine the distraction of Jesus teaching in a crowded room and all of a sudden there are some pieces of the roof that begin to fall down. Okay? Okay. Because these men would not be stopped by the crowds. And I don't know what they said or how they convinced their friend. But I bet he might have said something like this. You know what? I appreciate you guys. 
you take care of me, you, you, you go above and beyond, and just for carrying me all this way to Jesus, that is enough. Guys, we tried. We did the best we could. And then one of the friends, maybe a couple of the friends said, no, that's not good enough. And they convinced each other and the man on the mat, we've got an idea. And maybe they didn't tell him the complete idea just yet, right? But we've got an idea, and they head up to this roof, and they start unroofing the roof. So if I think it might be a little distraction on, on what might happen out here, I'd be really distracted of what would be going on up there. And they continue to open up the roof, not so much that they could just wave at Jesus, but enough to get uh, this man through the roof and at the very feet of Jesus. And I just wonder what the owner of the house was thinking. You ever Midst of being proud that Jesus is here in your house, that as you're hearing that noise and you're, what is going on? And then you see pieces of your roof and you're looking up and you're not trying to be distracted. What would that mean for him? But yet this man is lowered right in front of Jesus. And it says they lower the mat the man was lying on. And here the crowd is waiting in anticipation. And so we'll pick it back up in Matthew, verse 2. He says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Is that what it says? Did, did I misread? Ian, you're shaking your head. Did I not catch that right? Let me, let me go back to my notes here. When Jesus saw their faith and said to the man, no, he didn't say, get up, take your mat, and walk. He said something different, did he? Because they were expecting this, and instead Jesus said this, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. Imagine the confusion, maybe even the disappointment, of the friends and the crowds as Jesus would say, Your sins are forgiven. The crowd may have thought, We are going to witness a miracle. Not only were we able to be in the very presence of Jesus to hear his words, but he's going to do something. This man is coming down, and he's on a mat. We are going to witness a miracle. And Jesus, who has done the miraculous with healings, we're going to see it again. And instead, he says this. Jesus, you who healed so many with a word and with a touch... Why wouldn't you do the obvious? It is obvious what he needs. But instead, forgiveness. Can, can I get a little personal? Do you ever wonder that question? Why is it that God does not fix or change what seems obvious in your life? What is that short list of the things that weigh down your heart? And some of you are nodding and smiling because you know it doesn't take long to say those things that are on your mind. And perhaps in moments or in minutes after the service, the reality is that thing is still facing you. That it's hard to see anything else. What would be those things that you pray for? 
whether they be physical, whether they be a, a relationship that's not as it could be or should be, maybe it's financial, what would make that list? And how do you, how do you respond to those unanswered prayers? Do you feel disappointed, frustrated, let down? Maybe even let down by God? God, why, why not? Why this instead of this? And this is maybe a piece of what they could have felt at that moment because it's hard to see anything else when we're focused on But let's not miss the ultimate need. He had a need, a need for healing, but Jesus went beyond and said, no, the ultimate need is this, forgiveness of your sins. Because our sins have separated us from God. We have all sinned. And it has broken our relationship with him. And our sins have piled up a debt that is more than any price that we could pay. Anyone familiar with debt? Credit card debt? House debt? Personal debt? Some of you might think, Josh, I could teach a master class on this. There's something about people who are free of debt that seem to walk differently, that walk with the peace. But that's just perhaps financial. There is a walk of people that, that carry themselves when they are free from the debt of sin. And they know that their sins have been covered and they've been paid for. And I think perhaps maybe what what goes on is we minimize our sin and our debt. And we've been building this debt for quite some time. Anybody have siblings? Actually, let's do this. Has anybody anybody at least sinned once in their life? Do we have yes? We're in agreement on that one. If you're going to say no, I was already going to chip in lie. That's one, right? Anybody argue and fight with your siblings growing up? Need to put a couple more in? Oh, a few more. Okay, hang on. Anybody say bad words? Oh, that was quick. Really, a couple more. Hang on, there you go. How about a little white lie? Hang on, I'll find the penny, right? Couple pennies. It wasn't a white, that was bigger. Okay, so we got some more for there. And then we got those serious ones, those big ones. I'm not even going to name some of those, right? More debt. Kind of pouring it on. Am I not keeping up with some of the, what we need to cover here, right? A little more, a little more. And then you're thinking, again, we, we minimize those debts. I'm thinking of some of the ones maybe I or you have done, the ones that weigh heavy on us, and I don't think I need change for that one. I might need some paper for those guys. The others, but I got to put those in there. Debt after debt after debt after debt. And, and perhaps so, let's go, yeah, let's do this. 
when it comes to this debt, we minimize our sin. And when we minimize our sin, we also minimize our need for forgiveness and the amazing grace that God extends to us to cover the debt and our need for forgiveness. Our best efforts cannot settle the debt. We're not talking about pennies and nickels and dollars. When you offend someone, if it is a huge offense, that is a huge debt. But there's also something that we need to consider. When you offend someone who is great, that is a huge debt. Perhaps a debt that could cost you your very life. What is the debt to offend a king? What is the, uh, the debt to offend the king of kings of the universe? That is a debt that we cannot cover. You can't back that up with what you got in your wallet. That is, that is almost a life sentence. Life sentences after life sentences of our offenses against a holy God who cannot stand in the presence of of sin, and that is what makes when we realize the debt of our sin is huge, then that makes forgiveness to cover those sins even greater. Do, do you follow that? And that is why Jesus would say, Yes, I see his need for healing, but there is a greater need, not only for him. What do you see? There's a greater need for you and for me that we need to be forgiven and that we need to be made right by a holy God. Where our sins have broken that relationship and yet he has made a way to restore a path back to him. And so when David said these words in Psalm 32... We need to understand that weight. Blessed is the one whose transgression or whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David is a man who understands murder. And he understands the debt that should be coming to him should be his very own death. And yet rather than that kind of justice, God would extend mercy. And so he is saying personally, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. And here's what I, I like about the forgiveness. And, and I still try to wrap my mind around this. The forgiveness that Jesus offers us. It would be one thing if someone would just cancel our debt and we would get back to zero but he credits us his righteousness. Which means we are no longer in a hole. And that he says that he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we can continue to experience his love and his grace and his mercy. Not one who just cancels the debt, but cancels the debt and gives us this credit. That is one who is blessed. Well, in verse 3, it says that some of this, the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. And why did they say that? Because Jesus' teaching was one thing, and they couldn't deny his miracles. But Jesus told this man that his sins were forgiven. Jesus can't do that, because only God can forgive sins. 
Let me illustrate this for you. If somebody in the parking lot backs up into your car and gives you a nice little fender bender, and has that happened to you before? Okay, maybe, maybe not. But if that would happen and those two parties involved, they back into your car, you see it, and I walk up to both of you, not involved in the situation, and I say, you know what? You're forgiven. Go ahead and go. You're forgiven. It's all good. If that was your car, what would you say? You'd grab me by the shirt. You'd pull me down and say, you are in no position to forgive. And so the leaders were saying this, Jesus, you are in no position to forgive. God alone can forgive. But yet that was the very claim that Jesus was making, that he is God, that he has authority to forgive. Verse 4, it comes to that question. So why, uh, knowing their thoughts, Jesus would say, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? And can I point out something? Knowing someone's thoughts, that's, that kind of sounds like a God thing, doesn't it? One who has authority over storms. Dan shared that last week, that there was a raging storm, and with a word Jesus calms it, that sounds like a God thing. Casting out demons, sickness, and death, that sounds like a God thing. And I bet those religious men were a little angry with that accusation. Jesus, how dare you? Saying that we are entertaining evil thoughts in our hearts. Later, these leaders would be putting Jesus to death rather than pointing others to say, He is the one, He is the Messiah. But maybe we do a little bit of the same. When somebody talks about our sin and our offenses, we get a little offended as well. And we say, How dare you! Or we justify, I might not be perfect, but, or it's a comparison. Josh, if you want to talk about evil, let's look at what's going on over there on that side of the globe. Or let's get on the news or on the computer and let's talk about the evil over there. And we point out over here and over there rather than looking at the evil over here. And yet Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He says, you need, I need, this man needs forgiveness. That's what they ultimately need. That's what we ultimately need. And verse 5 says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But both of these are impossible, apart from God's intervention, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. You see, Jesus didn't want them to miss not only what they might see, but he wanted to make sure that they would know the truth of who he is. That he is God in the flesh, that he is the Son of Man, the one with all this authority referenced in Daniel. And that these leaders heard that he claimed to be God, but they did not believe that he was God. Because anyone could just say words to forgive sin. And you see what Jesus did? If they couldn't see visually that they could forgive sins, he would say, I have authority to do both. Now watch, because I have authority to heal as well. 
And so he forgives this man's sins and heals him with a word. So how do you respond to a moment like this? We see that the man, he, he gets up. Then the man got up, this is verse 7, that he got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given authority to man. So it makes me wonder, what should we do? In light of what we should see and what Jesus wants us to see, in light of what we know and what he wants us to know, what is it that we should do? How should we respond? Well, if Jesus would do nothing else, then provide forgiveness. That would be enough. If our life still faced difficulty, if it still faced loss, that he has solved the ultimate need of humanity by restoring this relationship between God and man, then that would be enough because our ultimate need is we need forgiveness. And along the way, I imagine he, he would answer our prayers as well. And you got to keep in mind, when our prayers get answered, and I know I didn't like this from my parents as well, because sometimes the answer was, do you know what I'm going to say? No. Or sometimes the answer was, not yet. And sometimes the answer was yes. And there are going to be moments in our life when what we hope and what we expect and the answer to that prayer is going to be no, not yet, and perhaps it's going to be yes. But you need to remember that God is good. And that God is completely what? In control. But before we wrap things up today, can I point you back to these faithful friends? In light of all God's done, in light of who he is, he provides an opportunity. He invites us to join in in his work. To carry this man on the mat, to get through that roof took a lot of work, but it was Jesus who did the heavy lifting. To not only forgive his sins, but to heal him to where this man who was on a mat rose up, walked, and went home, and his life was forever changed. Do you have faithful friends like that? Someone in your family? A coworker? A friend? A neighbor? That they go above and beyond to encourage you, to lift you up, to check up on you, and to make sure that you're doing okay. I'm surrounded by people like that. There's people that encourage me at work. There's people that have encouraged me as I've grown up. People who lifted me up in school when I was struggling with classes, when I was away from home, coming from a small town to a big town of Columbus, and people who kind of helped and guided, guided me along that way. Those are some pretty faithful friends, but not just faithful friends and faithful family. What's also been a big encouragement to me is those full of faith friends, those full of faith family and Christians. 
that would stop at nothing to bring their loved ones to Jesus. You know what, what that was for me? For me, I'm talking about my grandparents. I'm talking about my parents who did all they could do to teach me, to bring me to church, to show and model what Jesus did in their lives and what it could do and what he would mean in my life. And full of faith, they prayed for me over the years. Full of faith, they lifted me up when I was down. And that was in addition to others along the way that encouraged me. And I found even more friends at this church, full of faith friends, that lift me up and bring me to Jesus even in those moments when I struggle at times. And so let me ask you this. Who is letting you down? Not, not, not who's disappointing you. Not who's frustrating you. But like these men, who is letting you down? Where they're bringing you as close as you can, not holding anything back so you would be at the very feet of Jesus. And not only who is letting you down, who are you letting down? Who are you praying for? Who are you caring? Who are you encouraging? And can I say this to you? Don't stop praying for them. Don't give up on them. You know what excites me on a Sunday? I get a little excited on Sundays. I like being here. And it doesn't have to happen on a Sunday, but I am excited that on a Sunday, this might be the first day back for somebody in a while. This might be the first time ever that someone has stepped into a church. Or this might be a day they've been here for a while, and this is the day that something has changed in their life to where their trajectory and the direction of their life is going to be forever changed. And it changes not only their eternity, and it changes their future, but it impacts every single day moving forward. That excites me. And that God would invite us to be a part of that. Because you see, I invite my friends. I want to keep inviting my coworkers. And I remember back in the days, there was an excitement and a boldness that I have. And can I be honest? I don't have that same excitement that I had before. And I'm praying that God would burn a passion in me. For my family, for my friends, for my coworkers, and for my neighbors. Not just so that I would know the forgiveness of God, but that they would know. And that we could not only carry and lift each other, but we would go and carry and lift others and let them down. Do you get what I'm talking about? And so who has let you down? Who are you letting down? Because God answers some pretty awesome prayers. And he does some amazing things. So let's go back to kind of how we started. I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss the gift. Because sometimes all we see is that thing that is in front of us. And I know we wanted this and perhaps we experienced that. And there's a little frustration. But don't miss that gift of salvation. If you said, Josh, I have been forgiven. That is incredible. Let us not stop giving thanks for that. Because all of us one day will no longer be here. For all of us, there's going to be a day when there will be a death certificate beside your name. And there's going to be a cause of death. And the cause of death might vary from person to person. But what I want to know and what we should know is the status. 
Have you been forgiven? Yes or no? And that is a status and that is a decision that we do not delay. So don't miss what God has done. That we acknowledge our sin and our debt and we acknowledge the, the immense, amazing grace that he offers us. And we don't delay. Because I also want you not to miss the truth of who he is. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. He is more than a healer. He is God in the flesh. And that demands our obedience. But also don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. I want you to keep being good news. Keep loving on, keep praying for, keep encouraging your coworkers, your neighbors, your family. But then don't stop there. Share the good news. Let them know so they can experience the very forgiveness, the forgiveness that he extends. Amen? Let me pray. God, you have extended amazing grace to us. That while we were sinners, you died for us. That you would not only cancel the debt, but you would credit us with your righteousness. That your son would substitute his life for our life. He paid the debt that we could not pay. He suffered the death that we should have died. And you invite us back into relationship with you. That is good news. And then you invite us to share that good news with others. God, I pray that you would just continue to stir our hearts that we would make those decisions of accepting your forgiveness. And if we have already done so, God, that we would not take that lightly and that we would continue to give you thanks for what you've done on our behalf. But we would not stop there, God. Would you open our eyes to the people around us that we could not only encourage and serve and lift up to you, but we would also share the good news of what you have done in our life and who you are so that they may see and that they may know the good news that you have offered to all of us. God, you are good. You are completely in control. And we want to say thanks for all that you have done, for what you are doing, and what you will do in our lives. And for all this, we want to say thanks. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.